Our scripture reading this morning is found in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. In the Red Pew Bible, it's found on page 545. That's Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Glad to see you this morning. I know we've got some visitors among us and we're especially thankful that you've come our way. Thanks for coming to worship God with us this morning. Give us an opportunity to get to know you. One brief announcement, KJ Moore has begun a group of young adults, not young professionals, not young marrieds, just young adults. And if you belong in the young adult group, listen up. I'm not, I'm not asking for anybody's age. If you belong in the young adult group, this Thursday night, as has been happening every two weeks for the last couple of months, this Thursday night, there's a Bible study and uh, time to uh, fellowship with each other. And that's going to happen over here in the education building this coming Thursday night, 7 p.m. And so KJ's doing a great job getting that group up and running and uh, helping some, uh, some activities to be facilitated. KJ's doing a really good job about communicating those things, but I wanted to say it publicly so that everybody hears it. If you belong in the young adult group, and we're thinking about especially from having graduated high school all the way up until question mark, okay? If you think that you belong in the young adult group, talk to KJ and get some more information from him because this is a really needed type of activity among us. Uh, if you look around and you just think about who's here that falls into that category, there are quite a few among our number. And we'd love for you to be able to have some uh, fellowship and some friendships in that age group and, all, and, uh, and, and to, to build some um, to some strength in our faith as we follow Jesus together. So again, this coming Thursday night is the next uh, regular meeting for that group at 7 p.m. Also, don't forget that in our Evangelism in Sync program, this month's challenge is to think about your family. November is a time when families get together when we see each other. Maybe we haven't seen each other for an entire year or more. And we get together and spend time with one another. What we like to challenge everyone to do is to be praying for your family, especially those that are away from the Lord for whatever reason. Be praying very specifically for them and to be praying and looking for opportunities where maybe you, maybe you can be the one that makes a difference. Maybe you can be the one that says something or does something that opens a door to be able to help your family member who doesn't know the Lord to come to know him better. And so as an evangelist, you don't just think about the people outside, but we also have to think about our own people, our own families, our own kin. We need to think about those things if we're gonna be loyal to the Lord. Thank you for doing that. The lesson this morning is entitled, What Have They Seen in Your House? It's a lesson about the home and about the family. And when we think about homes and families, they come in all shapes and sizes, but there's a question. And the question is, what has been seen behind the four walls of your house? 
In 2 Kings 20:15, that's where the question comes from. A king named Hezekiah had received some emissaries from Babylon far away. And when those emissaries came, Hezekiah showed them everything in his house. He showed them the gold and the silver and the riches of Jerusalem. And the prophet Isaiah came and asked, Hezekiah, what have those emissaries seen in your house? Hezekiah said, I've shown them everything. And that wasn't the right thing for Hezekiah to do. He was trying to impress those foreign emissaries and not being faithful to the Lord in what he did. But the question is one that is pertinent for us. If you could take us on a tour of your home, if we had free reign to come and go into your home on a daily basis, what would be seen in your house? If you could show us the way that you treat the people that you live with, if we could see firsthand without any filtering, without any kind of, of, of airbrushing, the kind of person you are behind closed doors, what would be seen in your house? This is the kind of sermon that when I preach, a lot of times people come and they're, they're joking, I know, but they say, I sure am glad my wife heard that this morning. This sermon though, in all seriousness, I want you to think about this question. Forget everybody else that you live with. I want you personally to think about the question, what kinds of values, what kinds of priorities, what kinds of actions have been seen in my house? Because I live in my house. You live in your house. Think about that question. A couple of passages to get us in the frame of mind to think about our homes. Psalm 127 verse one, the psalmist writes, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. God is in the house construction business. God wants to help you to build a godly home. That is his heart, that is his desire, and he will let you do it your way, but you're building it in vain if you do so. It's gonna to come to ruin, it's gonna to come to emptiness sooner or later, eventually, if God's not the one building our homes, we're building it and we're going to find that it's fruitless, ultimately. Another passage that was just read a moment ago by Jeremy, Proverbs 24, verses three and four. Listen to the wise man by inspiration. It is by wisdom that a house is built. It is by understanding that it is established. It is by knowledge that its rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge are essential. We do not build pleasing homes to God by rote, by just doing what everybody else is doing, by popularity. We don't build homes that please God by just hoping for the best. It's wisdom that's required. It's knowledge, it's understanding. And God promises to give us those things if we'll just seek Him. That's the idea of this passage. What have they seen in your house? want us to think about this morning six principles or ideas that are found in Scripture regarding the kinds of homes that God wants to see. And the very first question that I need to ask and you need to ask of ourselves, is Jesus seen in, in my home? Can Christ be seen behind the four walls in which I live? Think about this. There are a lot of people 
who pay lip service to serving Jesus Christ. There are a lot of homes and families that look the part. And when we come to worship, we look the part. And when we, when we serve and when we uh, get involved in the Lord's church, we look the part. And yet when it comes to what we're like at home, Jesus has very little to do, if anything, with what we're really all about. There are a lot of people that put on a really good show and I'm gonna tell you something, as you think about the question, is Christ seen in my home? You may be able to fool a lot of people, but you can't fool your family. You may be able to, to present a front to a lot of people, but you cannot fool God. Is Jesus really the head of my home? A family sat down to the family table and there was a sign on the wall and it said, Christ is the head of this home, the silent listener to every conversation, the unseen guest at every meal. Is that, a way, is that the way it is at your house? What have they seen in your house? It's not enough, brothers and sisters and friends, just to say, we serve Jesus, we love Jesus. It's not enough just to say it. It's got to have to, to, to matter in our lives, in the decisions that we make, in the priorities that we establish. As a matter of fact, just consider these things. When Jesus is in our home, he is our focus. He is the one about whom we talk. He is will, is the one that we're trying to accomplish. He's the focus of our home. We're keeping our eyes on Jesus. He's our hope. He's our salvation. He's our savior. But not only that, we regard him as a friend. Greater love has no one than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 13, and you are my friends, Jesus says, if you do whatever I command you. Moms and dads, when we talk to our kids, we need to talk to them about how Jesus loves us and about how Jesus is our friend and we wanna help him and please him. We wanna serve him because he's done so much for us. We need those kinds of conversations to take place in our homes. His will is to be our priority. What he wants, what he desires, that's what we're seeking first. When we make decisions together as a family regarding our schedules, regarding activities in which we're going to be involved, his will is considered first. Is this something God would want us to do? Is this something that we ought to be doing and that we'd be ashamed of Jesus to find us doing? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, Matthew 6, His example is our model. When Jesus is the priority and the focus in our homes, the one who came not to serve but to be, not to be served but to serve, he's the one that we're trying to emulate, that we're trying to follow in his footsteps, to be a servant of those around us. And we want to be like him in everything having this mind in us, which is also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2 verse 5. What I'm saying this morning is that it matters whether or not we have decided in our homes to follow Jesus. In Joshua 24, 15, Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what we've decided to do. And I'll tell you something, I know what's going on in some of your minds. Some of you are saying, you know what? Jesus really isn't part of our lives. He's not really a big part of my home. And that needs to change. Let me tell you something. When you decide that Jesus is gonna be the center of your home, that he's gonna be the one whose will and whose model and whose example you're trying to accomplish, when he's the one that you try to put your focus on, you're gonna get resistance. And the reason you're gonna get resistance is because the devil doesn't want that in your home. 
The devil doesn't want you to turn your lives over to Jesus. And he doesn't want you to make him the focus and priority of your home. And so you're going to get resistance. You're going to get resistance from without. You're going to get resistance even from within. But this is a worthwhile decision to make. I want Jesus to be the priority of my life and his will comes first. And I want to be like him in the way I treat my family members. God desires for Christ to be seen in every one of our homes. And I'll tell you something, who we are at home, that's who we really are. And if you can follow Jesus and be loyal to him and be faithful to him and put him first at home, you can do it just about anywhere. You can certainly do it in the workplace. You can certainly do it in the public, public arena. It's hard to put Jesus first at home. Has Jesus been seen in your home, in your life? A second question this morning as we ask the question, what have they seen in your house? Has commitment been seen in your home? Mark it down and mark it well. God says families are forever. God says that marriage is till death do us part. God says that we are loyal and committed to one another. This is the will of God. Jesus says in Matthew 19, 6, those who are married are no longer two but one flesh and what God has joined together, let not man separate. Families are to be committed to one another. We're to have that idea in our minds always. I'm committed to this person. I promised, I've given my word before God and before others that I'm gonna be loyal. And when it comes to our relationships with our kids, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Sometimes in our homes, brothers and sisters and friends, sometimes we give our kids the impression, if not by our words and by our actions, that we would really rather them not be part of our homes. There needs to be commitment in our homes. We are committed to loving one another, to desiring to serve God together. This is something we're about. Divorce is not an option. It's not something that we think about. It's not something that we entertain that idea because God hates divorce. And God says, whoever divorces his wife, except it be for fornication and marries another, commits adultery, Matthew 19, verse nine. This is for life. This is the will of God. And commitment is something that God wants to see, not just on a practical, functional basis like we're talking about, but also on a, in a sincerity basis. Don't talk and act in your life, in your home, as if I may or may not stay. I may or may not choose to be here tomorrow. Don't act that way with your spouse, with your family. That's not God's will. The home is to be a place where we are committed to each other. Ruth said this to her mother-in-law, Naomi, in Ruth 1.16. She said, do not urge me to leave you. Naomi was saying, go away, Ruth. Go back to your home. Go back to your family. Don't do it, Ruth said. Don't urge me to leave from following you. She said, where you go, I will go. I'm committed to you, Naomi. Where you lodge, I will lodge. I'm going to stay where you stay, she says. Your people shall be my people. Even if it comes to forsaking my own people, the Moabites, I'm going to stick with you, Naomi. Your people are going to be mine. And where you die, I will die. Your God, my God. These things Ruth says as an expression of commitment, and she backed it up with her life and with her words. 
We live in a world where if we don't like how something's going, we can just drop it and shift to something else immediately. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about jobs or if we're talking about schools or if we're talking about football teams or if we're talking about spouses. We live in a world that says if it's uncomfortable, if it just doesn't seem to be working, if we're just struggling, you know what? We're better off without it. That's what the world says. God says... The home is to be a place of commitment. It's a place where we promise that we're gonna love each other and we're together for life. Has commitment been seen in your home? Does your family know that you're here to stay? Do you affirm those things? Do you say those things? Commitment. What have they seen in your house? Not only is commitment important, but so is closeness. Everybody can become detached, even behind four walls of a house. We can become detached from another, one another. We can become so busy in our lives that we just don't have any close relationships anymore, even with our own families. They have done studies, I know you've seen them, where people are lonely and it's an epidemic in our society. We are more connected digitally than ever before and we are lonelier than we ever have been. But God intends for the home to be a place where closeness is seen. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's how marriages ought to look. Does Jesus detach himself from the church and say, I'm not really interested in what the church is doing. I'm not really interested in what my bride thinks or how she's responding to this crisis. Is that how Jesus treats his church? There's closeness, there's affection, there's affinity, there's a desire to know what's going on. There's a relationship there. John eleven thirty five and 36, when Lazarus died, Jesus wept. And the scripture says that the people around saw Jesus weeping and they said, behold, how he loved him. That's how families ought to love. It ought to break our hearts when one of us departs this life. It ought to grieve us deeply because there's closeness and there's affection and there's tenderness. It's how families ought to love. By this shall all know you are my disciples if you love one another, John 13, 34 and 35. That kind of closeness is desired in the family by God. It's also how the father loves us. You remember the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, 20 through 24, where the prodigal went off into the far country to spend, waste his inheritance with prodigal living, wasteful living. And then when he comes to his senses, he comes to himself, he resolves to come home and to petition his father and to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And the father... The father loves his son so much that he runs down the road, hugs his son, listens to his confession, and then calls for the killing of the fatted calf so that they can celebrate. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. For my son who is dead is alive again. He who was lost has been found. That's closeness. That's tenderness. That's affection. Even when we've messed up, even when we've hurt each other. Let me just say one thing about that. It has been my observation. You know, we have these torrential downpours around here in Houston. We've been having a few of them the last few weeks where all of a sudden you've got two inches of water in the parking lot that usually is dry as a bone. 
if you and your spouse or you and your family go across the parking lot in one of those torrential downpours, inevitably, you're going to splash them. You try not to, or at least I try not to. I look for the high places in the concrete, and I try not to splash the people around me. But a lot of times, that's what sin is like in our lives. The sin that we commit splashes onto our families, and there needs to be a sense of understanding that I've messed up, and it's affected my family, and there also needs to be the kind of closeness represented by the Father here, where we realize I've been affected by what you just did, but I forgive you. Closeness. God desires to see those things in our homes. How about communication? Closeness can't happen without communication. We need to think about how we say what we say. I know what you think you're saying is the right thing, but listen sometimes to the tone. Listen sometimes to the way in which you say what you say to the people around you. It's amazing to think that if people could just have a playback of what we've been saying throughout the week, how embarrassed all of us would be. If we could just play that back for the public audience on Sunday morning, how I've been talking to my family, not just what I'm saying, but how I'm saying what I'm saying. And listen to what the Bible says about the communication to be taking place in our homes. It says in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to its hearers. That's a verse that's worth putting on the refrigerator, folks. No corrupt communication. What's good for edification? That's how we're going to talk to each other. And it's not just what we say. It's not just the content, the words that we're, that we're speaking. It's how we say them, and it's even the nonverbal stuff. The nonverbal communication. You know, they say something like 80% of our communication is nonverbal. Think about what we're communicating to our families by the way we approach them by the way we talk to them, not with our words, but with our bodies. The scripture says in Luke 6, 45, it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. If we wanna know what's really going on in our hearts, we ought to listen very carefully to the words coming out of our mouths. You wanna know the kind of person you really are? How do you speak to your family? Not just what do you say, how do you say it? Colossians 4, 6, let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt, that it may impart grace to the hearers. It's a hard thing to do behind closed doors when nobody else sees. Isn't it ironic that the people that we ought to love the most in the world and that we say we love the most in the world, those are the ones that we reserve our harshest and most biting and vicious words for? Isn't that ironic? You know, one of the reasons why that's the case is because there's really two us's. There's the us that we present to the world and people like the us that we present to the world. We can put on a good show and people just see that side of us, but our family, they know who we really are. They know what we're really like inside. And too often we get, we get a reflection back to us because of the way we've been saying things and doing things, it reflects back to us. What's really going on with us? It makes us upset. Be careful how you speak to your family. Matthew 12, 36 and 37, Jesus said, 
People are going to give an account for every careless word they speak. And you may forget what you said and how you said it, but God doesn't. And in many cases, your families don't. Your kids don't. Home, home on the range where never is heard a discouraging word. That'd be a wonderful place to live, wouldn't it? Where never is heard a discouraging word is communication of love and acceptance and value part of your home and your communication. Next, how about consideration? What needs to be seen in our homes more? What needs to be evident from God's point of view? Consideration, or put it this way, I had to make it a C word because all these are alliterated C's. Thoughtfulness. Are you thoughtful about the people you live with? Do you ever spend time thinking about what they prefer, what they would like, what is going on in their lives and in their hearts? Or is it all about me, me, me? Consideration means that I must get out of myself and I must think about what's going on with someone else. And that becomes hard to do because we think we know the people we live with. We think we know them so well. We've got them figured out and we know how they're going to act. And a lot of times you might be right. But sometimes people really want to talk about what's going on in their hearts. Are we thoughtful? Are we considerate? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, love that we sang about a little while ago. Love is, among other things, patient and kind and it believes the best, and that's hard to do when we've wounded each other and we've splashed sin on each other over and over and over again throughout our history together. It's hard to be patient and kind and considerate, but that's what love does, and love is hard work, and it's especially hard work at home with the people that we live with. It's hard to do this, but with God's help, because you wanna serve Jesus Christ, you can do it. I'm standing here to tell you, if you want the kind of home and the kind of priorities and principles that we're talking about this morning, with God's help, he can help you move in that direction. If you will just put your trust and your faith in what the scriptures say and allow those to guide your actions and your decisions and your words and not just let the knee-jerk first thing that comes to mind reaction be the way that we treat our families, God will change us. And I'm convinced of this. The home is where God does most of his work on our hearts. God wants to shape away the rough edges of our hearts. Every single one of us who becomes a Christian, we've got all kinds of rough edges. And even if you've been a Christian for 50, 60 years, you still got rough edges. And your people that you live with at home, your spouse, your kids, your parents, whoever it is, part of the reason they're there in your life is to help remind you I've got rough edges and I need to bring these to the Lord and I need to let the Lord shape these so that he's more pleased with who I am and the kind of character that I have. That's what consideration, thoughtfulness helps us to do. Again, Ephesians 4.32 tells us that we are to be kind to one another, tenderhearted toward one another and forgiving toward one another. I know some parents that are none of those things. They're not kind, they're not tenderhearted and they certainly aren't forgiving. I know some kids that are none of those things, young people. 
They're not kind to their parents. They're not tenderhearted toward their parents. And they certainly won't forgive their parents. And a lot of people have grown up, a lot of us have grown up being unforgiving toward our parents. It's not right. God says, this is about you and your heart. What is being seen in your home? What kinds of principles and priorities are seen in your character? Even if nobody else in your home wants to do any of these things, you can choose it. You can desire it. Be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. You know what tenderheartedness means? It means that I put myself in someone else's shoes and I can empathize. I can at least see it from their perspective. I may disagree with what you're choosing to do, but I can at least see your point of view as being tenderhearted. When we're vulnerable to one another, tenderhearted doesn't crush a wounded spirit. That's what God wants to see in our homes. Ultimately, all this comes down to grace, blessing. And there's a statement on the screen that I want you to take home and think about. Nobody gives grace as well as the person who thinks that they need it themselves. If we would be more gracious to others, we're going to have to go back to the gospel and remind ourselves of why we need God so much. We're going to have to go back to the scriptures and remind ourselves of why the gospel is so vital and precious to us, why it really is the most important message in all the world, because this is a message that saves me. God has saved me and I need his grace and I need his mercy and I need his forgiveness. And when we get in a mode in our minds where we think we've got our act together, Everything is fine in my life. There's nothing that needs to change. There are no rough edges in my life that need to be filed off. There's nothing amiss in my heart that needs to be brought before the Lord and confessed and repented of. When I get that attitude, I've got it all together. I'm going to be ungracious toward the people around me. Because nobody gives grace as well as the person who thinks they need it themselves. How much do you need the grace of God in your life? It's going to have an impact on how you treat your family. I promise you that. Consideration. Consciousness of time, finally. Have these things been seen in our homes? Compassion and, 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 and tenderness and kindness and those kinds of things. God wants those things to be seen. A servant heart, those things need to be seen. But all of this needs to happen with a consciousness of time. God's word says our families are ours for just a little bit of time. Even if you're blessed to be able to be married for long periods of time, 50, 60 years, in the grand scheme of things, it's just a drop in the bucket, isn't it? Our, our kids, as we raise them, they're a, they're a stewardship from God. God gives them to us a heritage from the Lord, and yet they're ours for just a little while, aren't they? Psalm 89, verse 47, remember how short my time is. We don't have much time. And some of the decisions that we make in the moment, we think won't have long-term ramifications. We need to stop and ask ourselves if what we're doing is really reflecting how little time we actually have. Psalm 90, 12, teach us, O Lord, to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. You see, when we realize how little time we actually have with our families, 
It'll change the way we see them. It'll change the way we see the Lord. And it'll change the way we see the choices and the decisions that we're making. We don't have much time with our families. Again, Ephesians 5.16 encourages us to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. That does not mean, by the way, listen to what I'm about to say, that the right thing for your family is to get busier and busier. I believe most families that I'm talking to this morning, I can see your faces, I believe most families that I'm talking to this morning probably would do better to be less busy than you are. I really mean that. Most of us would be good to, to go home and to sit down as husbands and wives and kids and look at what's on our plate and ask the question, is being this busy really the way God intended us to live our lives? Is doing all of this stuff really what's best when we think about how little time we actually have to live this life and to be together as God's people? Is this really what the Lord would have for us to do? I'm not saying that as a mandate, I'm just saying that because I've talked to so many people and this is a recurring theme. We are busier than we should be. How can we ever have communication and be committed and have closeness? How can we ever do those things when we are running 500 miles an hour all day long and we end up doing a lot of things, but we end up being 100 miles wide as a family and about that deep? It's not right. And it'll have consequences. It'll make a difference as our families grow older and as our life changes and as things go on it'll make a difference. Consciousness of time means that we think about what's best, what's most vital. And it also means that we know what we can and should say no to. May God be the one more than anyone else who decides what is being seen in our houses. What has been seen in your house? What are the things that if we could walk in and out whenever we felt like that we would see on a daily basis? That's a question that'll change everything if we take it seriously. You know, when we talk about the home and the family, a lot of people in their own lives reflect on this truth. My family is not, they say, what I read about in scripture. My family is not a happy place to be. It's not a place where love and kindness and tenderheartedness are seen. My family's not like that, John. And to you, I say this, God has given you an opportunity to be a part of an even greater family. The family of God, that's what the church is. We sang this morning that we're part of God's family together that we laugh together and we cry together and one hurts, we all hurt and we all care for one another. Even if home is not a place where the things we've talked about this morning are regularly seen, in God's family, these things ought always to be seen. And you can be a part of God's family. Repent of your sin, believe on Jesus Christ, confess his name and be baptized. And you can become a New Testament Christian. You are born again. John 3 verse 5, born of water and the spirit, and you become a child of God when you're baptized. If we can help you to make that decision this morning, if you need to respond and you'd like to ask for prayers, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?